Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this wonderful series of podcasts, I get to speak with eminent people from all around the world in terms of issues to do with well-being and brains and learning, all that kind of exciting stuff, as well as mental health. And today, uh, again, my guest, Associate Professor Michael Nagel, the University of Southern Sunshine Coast, who basically has recently put out two books, uh, one of which is called It's a Girl Thing, and surprise, surprise, he's also put out It's a Boy Thing, published by who, Michael? Amber Press. Amber Press. Melbourne, so, yes. Available. Actually, all... Andrew, the boys' book is Oh Boy, not quite a... Oh, oh sorry. Boy oh Boy. My apologies. <laughs> okay. Both uh, available, I think, in all good and sometimes bad bookshops. So let's talk a bit about young women and girls first today, and then we'll basically have a bit of a chat about them and then think about boys a bit later. So, Michael, one of the things that I often think and generalizations are always perilous as we know but nevertheless boys are often spoken about in relation to enhanced anger and behavioral problems whereas young women and girls often spoken about in terms of anxiety and mood dis disruptions really and I just wonder why why do you think that's the case uh, well, I think if we're going to speak of both boys and girls in that context and the anger and aggression, perhaps, and the mood disorders, uh, it's important for listeners to realize, and we often forget that, you know, the human brain isn't fully developed till we're into our, well into our 20s. And so, and what I mean by that is that the very mechanisms of the mind that we use with rather taking for granted that allow us to think through our actions, to analyze what we're going to do, make responsible decisions, aren't really functioning that well until we step out of high school, I suppose. You know, most of the hard work seems to be done around 19 or 20. And then we know for females, it's roughly 24. And for, I think for males, the jury's still out, depending upon who you talk to. So what, and the reason I think that's important to remember is that what that tells us is that some of the more primal things that exist in, in our brains have an impact on our decisions and, and how we see, view the world and behave in the world. So for boys, that often leads to dealing with emotive responses in an aggressive or um, uh, an angry manner. And for girls, it means that they typically are, and again, you're absolutely right, we don't want to generalize. So it's important to remember, you know, when I wrote these books, I, I say to parents and teachers alike, not all boys are the same, not all girls are the same. So, we're, But we're talking about generalizations that we, we do see is that um, the female brain, for want of a better term, or, or females, tend to be highly emotive, tend to be, particularly in the adolescent years, spend a great deal of time uh, ruminating about who they are, about their identity, about how they fit in the world. And, and more often than not, that's in the confines of how they perceive themselves mm -hmm. by others. So girls typically uh, will evaluate themselves based on how they think they're seen by other people or how they present to other people. And that creates a, a, a raft of uh, difficulties for, for young girls. I was speaking yesterday in therapy with a young woman and we were talking about the good enough syndrome, you know, basically, if I do this better, if I spell the words better, if I color in better, if I look better, if I diet better, I will be good enough. And uh, the limiting power of that on young women's empowerment. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's one of those things that uh, teachers see in schools all the time with, with girls constantly trying to please the, the teacher. And, and measure themselves, am I good enough to do this? Am I good enough to do that? And, and that becomes confounding in a time when social media is so rampant that 
that it adds another whole paradigm for girls to compare themselves to. So let's think about schooling for a moment, Michael, because I think I know there's always perils in taking a broad sweep, but I think it is interesting just to think about if we were designing schools for scratch for the kind of from scratch really for, you know, young women to basically forge ahead in life. And let's go through some just general kind of areas and see whether there's anything specific that you would have in mind. So in the acquisition of numeracy, numerical skills, what's your thoughts about how you would optimize that for young women? I think when it comes to, because we're going down the pathway of sort of the STEM fields, you know, the science, technology, uh, engineering, maths, um, I think what, when I'm working, again, working with teachers, I often say, can you take what you need to do in terms of a, uh, a numerate environment and use a girl's strength to work through that? And, and typically, we know that girls have great oral language and language capacity. So for me, it's, a, it's a trying to merge literacy and numeracy in a way um, that's far more seamless than it is. We, we tend to separate. And I, I appreciate the fact, and you know, there are times when a numeracy is very algorithmic, you know, uh, adding, subtracting, multiplication, dividing. But I think the more we could um, develop situations where girls are, are tapping into their literate brain, uh, it might um, to facilitate a numerate environment to facilitate an opportunity to work through numeracy problems, the better it is for them. In fact, and the, the literature, the testing literature seems to show that too, because as girls get older, they, they do tend to do a little bit better on problem solving in numerate environments when there's a lot of language ensconced in that, which is kind of the opposite for boys. They, they kind of stumble along in those domains. So when numbers are taught sort of as cold, hard numbers, as abstract concepts, maybe not so effective, but when they're in a context of a real world situation or something to do with people or the story of numbers, if you like, that would be a, probably a better way of doing it, plus hands-on activities, you're saying. Absolutely, absolutely. And context is everything in that regard. So I, I in fact, Andrew, I couldn't have said it any better, is, is that if we could create a scenario where girls are having are using those that's those strong skills that they have to um, unpack numerical problems, the better it would be for them. And one of the difficulties I suppose we have in, in education, if this is, speaks to girls and boys alike, is it's it's still to this day, you know, I still see a lot of uh, rhetoric around improving skills for the 21st century, you know, 21 years into 21st century, we're still talking improving skills for 21st century. But if you went to many mainstream classrooms, I would argue that you're probably still seeing 19th century practice. Um, schools have not really changed all that much uh, from the time they start of the day to the time they end, for what goes on in the day, what's evaluated, what's considered important. And it, it seems rather um, paradoxical given the rapid changes in the society we live in, but also in workplaces for so many people. And if nothing else, the, the pandemic has taught us that our work is changed markedly and continues to change, um, where companies now are, are actually suggesting people work from home. And yet any mainstream school is, is no different than probably what the school that in terms of, with the exception of perhaps technology and some of the content, processes and procedures are no different now than they were when my parents were in school. And literacy, what do you think about, I mean, obviously you said that young women have a more literate brain and certainly advanced vocabulary over boys. Is there anything that you would do specifically to enhance literacy skills and really draw upon that more powerfully in schools? Well, I, you know, by most measures, and I, I talk about this in, in both books in, in different ways, by most measures, schooling seems to suit girls better, um, and they seem to do better. And in fact, 
Um, you know, the, the boys book itself is, and, and both books are new editions of work. My first two books that were done in 2006, 2008. And in 2006, if I went, go back in time, I was writing about boys. And, and I'll say this to your listeners is that I never set out to be a boy or girl expert. I, my, my back, I've always been interested in how children develop and adolescents develop and how they learn and behave. So when I lo was looking at boys, what was interesting at the time was that boys were falling behind by most measures. So here we are some, again, 20 years later, or close to 15 years, I should say. And um, by most measures, boys are, are doing poorly in educational context. Uh, they tend to be at the failing end of most subjects in primary and secondary school. They often don't go on to post-secondary education to the extent that girls do. So on most measures, the way schools currently exist, girls are doing fairly well. And if you go to any university, you can see there's been a huge shift in, in the number of uh, female students opposed to male students in the last couple of decades. So academically speaking, girls seem to be doing okay. Um, it's the social emotional context that really gets in the way of, of their achievement more than anything else. So let's turn to that and think about what would we recommend to educators to better cater for the social emotional needs of young women and girls? I, I think probably some schools have taken this on board and increasingly so. And, and again, if we're looking for silver linings in the cloud of COVID, it might be the realization that we really need to tend to the emotional lives of girls and boys alike. School is still, particularly in secondary schools, very atomistic, you know, it's still a collection of subjects that students study. And every now and then they get a little bit of dabble into well-being. I think probably we would do well to invest much more time and energy and resources into ensuring the mental well-being of our students, uh, females and males alike. And I just don't think we do enough of that. I don't think we spend enough time teaching um, young people about the changes that they're we historically we've spent a lot of time talking to the adolescent kids in particular about changes their body's going through, but we don't spend a great deal of time talking about their brains and what their minds are going through. And I think probably that would be a, a great place to spend uh, resources, time and energy and make sure that every there, there was a time of every school day we're attending to the emotional uh, lives and social lives of our students proactively. So I've read somewhere along the way that estrogen amplifies the stress response in the young female body. And then, of course, oxytocin is at higher levels, the hormone of trust and love and belonging. But oxytocin has a lot of good sides, but I believe it also has a, a bit of a negative setback. Is that right? Well, oxytocin, as you say, is the bonding chemical. And what tends to happen, I suppose, is where it's most evident is, um, I suppose, in, when you mentioned stress, is that for males, when they uh, get stressed and they go to a they'll go to a fight or flight response, females tend to go into a tend and befriend response. And so uh, more often than not, they're looking to forge a pathway of consolation when, in fact, they often aren't dealing with the issues at hand, so to speak. So the array of chemicals in the human brain, both in both males and females, is mind-boggling in how they mediate our behavior and how our we navigate the world around us. And so there's so much that we could learn to understand about what those chemicals are and how they have an impact. But I think for the most part, teachers and parents like see this in everyday practice. And I think it's just really important for them, for teachers and parents like to know that we should be trying to meet the needs of girls and boys in a non one size fits all manner. That's a really interesting point. So that how do we then help our young women to move from a kind of soothe and cope with the 
the stresses, the slings and arrows of existence to become more empowered social activists for change? I think, again, it's, it's one of those things that all of these things can be wrapped up in opportunities in a school context to present opportunities for girls to, to discuss these issues, pre- present opportunities for girls to talk about, uh, you know, what it means to be um, a successful or, or, and I want to say powerful, but not power in a, a tyrannical sense, but powerful in a, in a competency sense, where we are discussing, you know, what, what does it mean to be a competent female person in the 21st century and bring in female role models, you know, some, something that girls can aspire to and, and, and look towards. And I think the other thing too, is we, we do well to ensure that we are, and again, this word, I say this word with caution, monitoring what girls are consuming on social media and technology, because I think therein lies one of the biggest problems for females is that um, the the Twitterverse and and Facebook and Instagram and all the other things that that young people are uh, and uh, people of all ages I suppose are are dabbling in is a can be a really pernicious environment and and not the most uh, helpful for helping young people develop and, and understand themselves. You wrote in It's a Girl Thing that young women may be more attracted to particular careers. And I thought that was a really interesting observation. And I was, I was reminded of some research that looked at uh, the availability of a year eight female science teacher and the likelihood that that young woman would then continue on to basically study science in a more in-depth way and increase it dramatically. Can you talk a bit about the careers research? In that section of the book, when I was, when I was again talking about that, what I find is that we, when we talk about um, opportunities for girls in STEM, it can be very polarizing. So you're either at one end of the pendulum or the other. It's either girls aren't provided opportunities because they don't have role models or girls don't take those opportunities because they're girls. And I think there's a balance somewhere in between. So what I tried to tease out in the book was that one of the things that comes through through a lot of the uh, psychological literature is over and over and over again is that we know that boys typically are tend to be interested in things. Girls typically tend to be interested in people. Now that can play out in terms of interest down the track as, as girls get older and they tend to, can be steered towards or away from STEM fields as they get older or within STEM fields to particular aspects of STEM fields. So they might be interested in biological sciences or psychological sciences. But there's also this, the reality too that we've we have had generation of girls who probably haven't had a fair number of female role models in the STEM areas, and that has had an impact. So it's it's not a necessary a question of just being a, a psychological phenomenon or a sociocultural phenomenon. It's probably a little bit of both. And again, it's it's about providing opportunities and helping girls follow their interests, whatever they may lie, but not, not necessarily condemning them if they don't have a, you know, if they're not interested in engineering, perhaps they might be interested in biological science and we should be supporting that rather than trying to push them in areas. And I, I find, and what I see is that we have within schools and in all manner of uh, education, even tertiary education, there are programs to try and move girls into these fields, but we have to ensure that we're actually, whether 
girls and boys like we're providing opportunities for them to follow their interests because you know anyone with any modicum of of intelligence knows that you, you follow what you're interested in you know you're driven you know your intrinsic motivation is is enhanced not because someone tells you, you should follow a field but because that's where you want to be i mean and most parents know that you know when when their children finish high school and they go on to university you know and you know my son's going to be an engineer only to find out he becomes you know a trombone player at the conservatory and all hell breaks loose but it is the fact of the matter is that young people it takes a while for them to find their interest and when they do we should nurture that as much as possible and facilitate opportunities for them to see some of those very people that they might emulate yes great point so let's turn to parenting because you mentioned parents so the the great feminist book my mother myself begins with a rather curious observation and the observation is that mothers and daughters always lie to one another and always have it's a really interesting thought i think uh, about the differentiation of young women particularly from their mothers so the nurturing environment for a young woman basically ideally how do we find that fine balance between supporting her and allowing her in her family to find her own voice her own way her own identity well, I think if, if I can answer that question, I'll put that in a book. It'll be the only parenting book ever sold um, <laughs> because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's a fine balancing act for parents, particularly when their children move into adolescence and, and are crafting their own identity of who they are and, and trying to become independent of their parents, but still needing their parental support and, and love. And it really is, I think, incumbent upon parents to... Uh, realize that their daughters are, are going to go through mood swings and emotional upheaval, uh, but they still need you there to support them, to help them along that journey, to, to guide them, to, to give them a framework for walking through adolescence in a positive, in a positive manner. And again, it's one of those things, you know, we've been um, psychologists and, and child development experts have been writing about this for, for decades and if there was one manual, you know, again, it would be one book in the bookstore. But I think it speaks volumes too, though, too. And I, the thing that I really uh, appreciate about young people is the diversity. And the fact of the matter is that context is so very important as well. What, what kids need is they need to feel, you know, go back to Maslow. They need to feel supported, secure, safe, loved, and not judged, but also provided with uh, boundaries and borders that are consistent and um, are all about helping them become better versions of themselves each and every day. So in some ways, it's about being the springboard yeah. really for yeah. that for that development. So thank you for writing this book. I, I, I enjoyed it greatly. I thought it was a, a really good summary of, of the research and thoughtful approach to, to raising and thinking about maximizing the empowerment and actualizing the identity of young women. So it was a, a fantastic thing to kind of put together. And I, I really want to honor you for your your work, the endless work I know that is Thank required you. in I, writing a book. Um, I, that's high praise coming from you, Andrew. I really appreciate that. So thank you so much for your time today, Michael. Always a pleasure. And, and uh, if I can borrow from your, I've, I've been doing this more often than not. I hope you don't mind. I'm plagiarizing. Can I end this by saying, keep sparkling? <laughs> you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. 
There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people. And also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much and uh, hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you.